So today we have a, a message um, that I'm entitling Reclaiming Humanity in a Mechanical Age. I, uh, I personally, maybe it's because I'm, I'm a high school teacher, you know, I always called education the prophetic voice because you get to see where, uh, where the nation is going in like another 20 years. Like those kids are going to be the adults, right? 20 years they'll be the adults, 40 years they'll be the politicians. And, and a lot of days I'm like, yes, this is going to be so cool. And, a lot, and some days I'm like, this is not going to be good. Um, but, you know, every generation says that about the previous one. It's like a fact, right? You guys sitting here, you know, the, your, the previous generation called you, you know, a bunch of worthless hippies or, or yuppies or whatever it may have been, right? So every generation ha has, the, has the tendency to look down upon the previous. And I don't want to do that because, you know, the funny thing here is who made the kids the way they are? The kids? The parents of the generation before. This is so funny, right? The very people who are the cause of the problem are the ones that are making fun of the next generation. You're like, do you get that you're the ones who raised up these kids this way? Like, it's kind of funny, you know? But regardless of how old you are, what's happening here is the age is changing. I don't even know if you can call it mechanical, right? It's like a technological age, but it just kind of looked a little cooler when, I, when, I, when we put it up on Facebook, so we went with it. The mechanical or technological, who knows? What I'm getting at here is this. I feel daily that the world has coming into such a place of a standardization of people and standardization of things. And what the culture has been doing, in my opinion, is that they're taking out the identification, the relationship of humanity out of the equation. And we're being replaced. We're being replaced by a number, a thing, a face, a dollar, uh, social security number, a Amazon account. That's my feeling. And so whatever the case may be, it's so funny because, you know, earlier this week we were doing, of all things, keystones, which are the standardized testing for high school students in Pennsylvania. So I'm like, we're doing standardized testing this week. Were you guys doing it? I don't know, at junior high or elementary school, if you do it, you did, you did it. Was it this week or a month ago? Yeah, so I guess they're working their way up, right? So now high school, it's, it's now, and it's like, it's horrible. It's like hours of testing, right? So anyhow, so all, all the teachers like are in different rooms because you can't be in your room and administer that test because that could be blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, it's kind of weird, like security things, you know? So I'm in there super early and this teacher comes in because the, te the, the, door, ne the door next door to the classroom is locked. So this teacher, I literally, in 13 years of teaching there, I've seen her three times. She comes in, she says, you got a key? It's like 6.20 in the morning, you know? And I was like, no, I don't. But actually, so-and-so has a key down the hallway. And so she left, and I was just like, was it like, hey, how are you? Good morning. My name is. We both work here. We've seen each other three times. Hey, by the way, do you got a key? There was none of that. It was just like, it was just kind of like, eh, you know? So, you know, after, after the standardized testing, I'm like, I got I to gotta do something. So I went for a run. I'm going for a run, and the way that the high school is, is set up, you go for a run, and you go underneath this underpass. The junior high is down, down the road, and it dumps right into a Tyre State Park. So it's like a great place. So I'm going for a jog, and there's this kid riding his bicycle, a little junior high twerp, you know? All due respect to junior high kids. That's what we call them in high school, like little twerps, right? And he's, and, he, and he's going, and I look at him, and I look at him. It's just like this faceless kid on a bike. And it just dawned on me, in another year or two, I'm going to have him in my class. Like, he just wasn't just some kid riding a bike. Like, I may actually have him in class in a year or two. Like, he's a person, right? It's just not a number. It's not just someone riding a bicycle. 
So I go, for, I'm, I'm not making this up. So I go for a run, I'm coming back, and I see an ex-student of mine that I had years ago and his mom, who is a, is, a, is a teacher at the high school, and they're running. He's like a big time, like, cross-country like star. And they're like, hey, you want to run? I'm like, yeah, I'll run with you guys for a little bit. We turn around, and I was just like, well, here's a kid I taught a couple years ago. We're having this conversation, like, we've been buds for, for years. You know, what are you doing, this, that, and everything? And, and I was like, man, you know, kids and people are not numbers. They're not faceless. Even the stranger is a son of Adam. And if he's a son of Adam, he or she is going to be a brother or sister. We're not just these numbers. But there's so much of this number-driven stuff in our society. It's unbelievable, actually. I mean, I mean, obviously we're all living in it, but if you can go to yourself 30, 40 years ago and transport you now, you probably would have a panic attack, right? All that bam, 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 buzz and whistles and all this kind of stuff. So brotherhood, you know, uh, 1 John 4.20 says it this way, right? Uh, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Not that he's a liar that he hates his brother. He's a liar that he loves God. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. And of course, we know the story, right, of the, of the Pharisee who goes to Jesus. Well, who is my brother? Or who is my neighbor, right? And it's the whole story of the Good Samaritan, right? It wasn't the priest. It wasn't the scribe. It wasn't the people if we want to update it to the 21st century. Your brother is in addition to the person that you see here and the person that you rub shoulders with. Your brother or sister is that gas station attendant. And so my thoughts through all this and this week is this. How many of my interactions with you and how many, how many of my interactions in the world have become standardized. Just things to get through. Just, just, just a means to an end. Now I apologize, like if, if, especially after a Sunday, if I ever, if I ever make you feel like, like, like you're maybe just a number here. Uh, I don't want to do that, but there's more of you than me. So in the cafe, I got my kids. I'm tired, you know, from preaching and stuff. But you know, a lot of people are asking me stuff. So I apologize if I, if I don't come off as the warmest, warmest, because sometimes I'm just like, you know. But here we go, you know, um, how many of my interactions have become standardized? I kid you not, I'm writing this out last night, uh, doing some prep, and I'm like, oh, I gotta get, I gotta get, uh, I gotta get gas in my car. If I wake up real early in the morning, I'm like, just gonna throw off my day, let me just get it now, you know, I, I do that often. So I went to the gas station about 9.30 at night, and there's a guy in a car next to me, just sitting in his car. It was very random, very strange. Uh, and I was like, actually so tweaked out about that, I went into the to the store part, and I was like, yo, there's a guy out there, he's just sitting there, it's really strange, I don't know what's going on. So then I walk out to do my guess, and the guy gets out of his car, big dude, comes over to me, I'm like, <laughs> he's like, hey man, you know, I'm trying to get to Bristol, I'm coming from Quakertown, I don't have any money, right, typical, right, sure. I don't have any money, okay, you don't have any money, um, do you think you can give me some money so I, just so I can, so I can get home? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll give you, can I give like 10 bucks? I'll get you home, right? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any cash. So I go inside the store. I'm like, hey, I want to put 10 bucks on pump one for this guy. He's a little hard out. You know, things are tough. 
just gonna I'm just gonna give him some money for for gas. And the, guy, the, the 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 person that is the manager of the little facility says, uh, I really would appreciate if you did not do that. I look at him. So I can't buy gas for someone. He's like, I really would appreciate if you didn't do that. I don't, I don't want it to be a precedent. People come by begging this, that, and the other thing. And so for a moment, I'm like, I, I kind of get it. Like if you're an owner of a business, right? And it made me look the business look bad, this, that, and the other thing. But I'm just like, I want to be like America. I can buy gas, gas for whoever I want to. You know, that's what I wanted to say. It's America, you know? America. Buy gas who I want to buy gas for. But I didn't because I was so like fogged. Like, what the heck? So I walk out. It's like 9.30, quarter to 10. And I decide, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to run my card in the, in the gas thing, you know? And, and, and I told the guy, I was like, you won't let me buy you gas. He's like, what? So I just put it in there, boom. I'm like, hey, man. And I said, I heard you're from Bristol. I'm like, I gave him one of the, the church business cards. Like, have you ever interested in coming to church? Here we are at 10 o'clock. Nothing, no pressure, man, but I just want to let you know we're, we're around, you know? He's like, oh, thanks. So then I, I drive away. I'm like, oh, the, oh, I forgot. He hit plus. Plus gas, not regular gas. And I'm like, wait a minute. I went away, and I did not wait for him to go 10 bucks. Maybe it's like, maybe fill up his tank, 50. I'm like, whatever. What would Jesus do? You know, go on, have 50. Now, obviously, I'm telling you to use wisdom when people come up to you. Right? Because, you know, people have been burned. But I, I felt good about it. And I was like, you know what? Let me circle around. I'm going to circle around. And if I look at the gas station from Cross, if his car's still there, he's, you know, filling it up, getting his buddies filling up for all I know, right? Mm. But he's not there. Then, surely, it's real quick. So it would have just been 10 bucks. So I turn around. I'm like, Lord, like, what's going on? Did I just get hosed, you know? And I look. He's not there. He just put 10 bucks in. I went back home. Went down to my basement, I sat down, I was like, it didn't even dawn on me. I'm in the middle of finishing up a message on what? This whole concept of standardizing people. Like, he's not just some faceless dude. He's probably he's got a wife, he probably has kids, he probably had a long day at work, he probably all this kind of stuff. But what did the gas station attendant inside the, the little store want to do? Why don't you just make him a, another number? It didn't even dawn on me. I'm like, I was telling Michelle before going to bed, I was like, it, it was like one of those experiences where I feel like when I get to heaven, I'm going to see that dude and he's actually going to be an angel. You know, it says like, we enter, we, be careful for you may be entertaining angels. And I was like, I wonder if this guy was just an angel of just like the Lord just saying, are you going to put into practice what you're talking about? And didn't even dawn on me until I sat down and I was like, holy cow, this just happened. So, but you, th you see, like we live in, in, a, in, a, in a world where everything want, everyone is now a widget. They're just a thing to give someone else money or to give someone a, a means to an end. And it's a very scary and bad place for humanity. I mean, everything's streamlined, right? A movie, you just watch it. A TV show, you can binge. Anything you want, Amazon will give it to you tomorrow. Dating, you like her, swipe left. You don't like her, swipe right or opposite, whatever that may be with that Tinder or whatever, right? Like, I mean, relationships, like to date someone, you can go on an app. You like or you don't like. Friendships. The social media, Facebook kind of thing. And, and so what, what my concern here is plugging into scripturally and biblically is this. I really do believe that the holiness of space and the holiness of relationships are severely, severely at risk in our society. I really believe the spirit of the world wants to dehumanize the sons and daughters of God. And, they, and, and he, the spirit of the age, Satan himself, wants to make us just another product, just another thing with a little serial number on it. 
And I'm telling you, when you go up against this, particularly to the younger generation, they're astonished when people are real. When you're just real. And there's no farce. There's no smoke and mirrors. And you just interact with them as a human being. I know it sounds insane, but I'm telling you, there's a generation of people who have such limited interaction with true humanity that they're shocked when they come in contact with it because they've never seen it before. They haven't seen it with their parents. They haven't seen it with their teachers. And they haven't seen it with their friends. And so the crazy thing here is this. Um, and this might get a little heady and philosophical for you, but bear with me. The use of tools. Mankind is just so amazing with our ability to use tools and inventions. But what's really crazy here is that the tool becomes the man and the man becomes the tool. And we got to be very careful with this in the age that we live in. Dawned me several years ago and we had a tree fall down in the backyard and I was busting up a bunch of oak. You got the oak, you got me, you got the axe, right? And I'm busting on this thing and it's like, it's tough as oak. And I understood it, this in a philosophical and spiritual way that I had this tool, the axe. And what, what we have here is the oak and the oak was a tool to really burn in my, in my fireplace. And what was happening is the, tool, the, the oak became me and I became the oak in this kind of philosophical way. And what I mean by this is this, in order to break the oak, I had to become as strong as the oak. By slamming it down, the strength of the oak was kind of transferred in a way through an axe into my biceps. And what did I give the oak to finally split it? It had to receive what of me? My weakness. My, look, if you, look, if you ever chopped wood and you did it all summer long, you're going to get pretty strong. Where did that strength come from? Some kind of metaphysical way. It's like the, the strength of that oak gets transferred to you and then the weakness it adopts from you because it splits and it breaks. I told you, just be a little philosophical here. Maybe for updating 21st century, it's this. I was dating Michelle and I was looking up engagement rings. And when I was looking up engagement rings, I had to clear the history and the cookies on the Google search, because if she ever used my computer, what would she be hit with? An advertisement for engagement rings. You use the tool of a computer, the computer in a weird way begins to become you, in a weird way. It knows your what? It knows your likes, your thoughts, your wants. Like, you're like, oh, it's so funny, I was just posting on Facebook that I wanted a new pair of boots, and suddenly this advertisement came up. No kidding, they know. Right? The algorithms, algorithms know. So, fine, back then it's an oak, but now it's a computer. There's this transference. It knows what you want. It has essentially become a part of you, and then you know its knowledge. It's given you. So we have to be extremely careful of which tools we use, because you will become it, and it will become you. And it's very, very scary. If we are not careful... We ourselves will become a commodity, a tool, a tool to be used, and we will see others the same way. We, 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 this is very important. I don't want to lose you on this philosophical stuff. This is very important. 
if we are not careful, we ourselves will become a commodity or a tool, a tool to be used, and we will see others the same. It's very simple. Uh, the famous German sociologist said it this way, Eric Fromm, man does not only sell commodities, he sells himself and feels himself to be a commodity, meaning a tool. What do I mean by this? Our relationships can no longer be true relationships and they can enter into an economic agreement. I do this for you and then you do this for me. Your friendships and your brotherhood and sisterhood can become that very, very easily. I'm your friend because you're going to scratch my back and I'm going to scratch your back. Uh, this is like recently I've been able to like get into like some networking kind of events and I feel disgusting. I hate networking. Like here's my business card. You know, I got something for you, you got something for me. I am so bad at it because when I meet someone, I can't just give you a card. Like I need like, what's your name, man? Where are you from? How many kids you got? What's your deal? Going on, blah, blah. But it's like, there's a card. It's like, especially in the church world, it's like, it's ugh. It feels so dirty. Like I got to take a, a bath after, a shower, right? So I don't sit in the, in the dirty water. I use you and you use me in our relationships. It could be, right? If you adopt into this, uh, to reach my objective and my goal. And this is, this is a, this, this is, a, this is such, it's so complex, man. I like your Facebook. You like my Facebook. Now I got a bigger audience, right? What I'm trying to say is we need to restore our humanity, people. We can't look at each other as just a commodity to be bought and sold and used for my goal and my objective. Like, I got to be careful when I talk to Josh, because Josh and I work together. I can view my relationship with Josh and with Jess, the church secretary, as just the person to get the stuff done that I need to get done. And then we lose the actual human relationship. Uh, this weird, weird, weird event actually takes place in First Chronicles chapter 21. This is a story that many of you may not have uh, heard of before. It's a fantastic story. First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number or make a census in Israel. Listen to that. Satan is on the prowl, gets King David to do a census, to start counting the people of Israel. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all of your Lord's servants? Like, David, why do you have to count all of them? Aren't they your servants? Aren't they people? Why do you have to count all of Israel? You read on, the Lord is angry at David for taking a census. It's like, why would you be angry for taking a census? Satan goes to David and encourages him in a spiritual sense to take a census. Why is that? You hear the answer by Joab. Aren't they all servants? Aren't they all people? It was a king that was being tempted to make his subjects what? A number. A number. And not people. Not your brothers and sisters. And I'm telling you, man, in the modern age that we live in, it is so easy to make one another these numbers. 
these tools for my benefit? Possibilities. It could be physical. I do something for you, you do something for me. Or even more perplexing, it could be emotional. There are plenty of people that will use people for their own emotional need. Using people to meet a spiritual or emotional vacuum in yourself. I'm going to use you to feel love. I'm going to use you to have a sense of self-esteem. I'm going to even use you as a place of righteousness. If I pray for you, I'm doing what's good for the Lord. If I evangelize and I win one over, I've done something right in the eyes of the Lord. You've got to be very careful, very careful, that we're not using each other either physically or emotionally to get what we need for our own self-preservation. If you do this, um, it's, going to, it's going to leave your soul empty, man. If you do this, your brother, your sister will become a commodity will just become a tool to be used. And then what happens here is your God becomes a tool to be used as well. I use you. It can maybe be so simple. I put your abilities before the relationship. I view you as the guy that can help me move. I use you as the guy that can help me cut my lawn. I use you as the guy that can help out with the church down in the basement in the, uh, in, in the plumbing. Right? So, you know, Tim's a plumber and he came by and, you know, a couple weeks and he's like, hey, you got a problem with your plumbing. How come you did not come to me? And I just kind of kept it quiet. But the reality here is this. I didn't want like a new person coming to think that we are just all about what? Using them. No, man. Step in the relationship first. I love your heart for saying, hey, I want to do it, which maybe now it's time to start doing it. But, you know, I didn't want to put the tool of what you're able to do before the relationship because then you could become fake. Here's a product to be bought and sold on Amazon, right? And so we need to restore this notion of relationship. I mean, the Lord says that he came, right, uh, to bring reconciliation, a ministry of reconciliation between man and God, but also between man and man. And we've got to stop looking at each other as, as these things that can just pro provide things for you. You get what I'm saying? So, this is going to make some of you laugh if you've been around. There's a movie, 1940, Charlie Chaplin, The Great Dictator. Anyone ever see it? No? This is freaky. This is so freaky. Charlie Chaplin, the great silent movie star. This is the first, and I think maybe even the only movie, where he is going to speak. And during the whole movie, he doesn't speak until the very end. And he gives a speech. And many people in the cinematography and the film industry will say that this is the most epic speech that has ever been given on TV or in movies, right? And what's so powerful is, like, people didn't know what Charlie Chaplin sounded like. He was, like, this big movie star. And he never spoke on film. And now he speaks for the first time. And so I want to show you, because this is creepy, that this is 1940. And he gives this speech. And, like, watching it today, you're like, oh, my a little background on it, because so, it's maybe a little strange. You know, Charlie Chapman's got that little mustache, right? He's also wearing a, a uniform that looks like a Nazi uniform. And the reason why they're doing it is because the great dictator in 1940 is a whole parody against Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. They're making fun of how ridiculous fascism is. And so in the movie, <laughs> he looks like the dictator. 
You remember the movie Dave? You guys remember the movie Dave? No? All right, well, he looks like, it's like the original Dave, right? He looks like the dictator who they don't call his, Ad who's really Adolf Hitler, but they're not calling him that, right? He looks like him and the dictator goes missing. And so they grab him to like be the new dictator and they're trying to like do anything and he's never spoken to anyone. And then someone finally gives him a mic at the end of the movie and like he speaks and like changes the whole society because he speaks about good things. It's, 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 it's epic. Uh, if we can put that on, um, I think it's a good warning from the past. I really do. 1940, gosh.
So there's a couple things that I would change with that. I don't know how I feel about the no national boundaries. It's a little like global order kind of stuff. But one day there will not be national borders when Jesus is reigning, right? He says like, in the name of democracy, let us all unite. How about in the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus, let us unite, right? Um, but I still think even with like the democracy thing and all this kind of stuff, like there's, I, just, I always felt like there was a power in that. The reason why he's so emotional is it's 1940. It's 1940. Like England is being bombed by the Nazis. Half of Europe is taken over by Hitler. And they're making this parody about him, right? Saying, come on, it's like if that, if that power and that force could be used for good, come on, right? But what's spooky to me is 1940. He's talking about like the crazy invention of the radio and the airplane. It's like, gosh. That was a fast, crazy world, wasn't it, right? It's like, holy cow, what are some of the things he's talking about here that I think is, is a lesson from the past. He's saying, look, in 1940s terms, he's saying we're so abundant that we have left ourselves in want. Like, are you kidding me? Like, we have so much more now than people back then could ever imagine or fathom. But yet, the lesson is still true. There's still people that are wanting something. They want more than the Amazon package. They want a relationship. We've become so knowledgeable that we've actually become cynical about things. <laughs> Not a couple of those people. We've become so clever that we've also, unfortunately, have become hard and unkind, that we think too much, we feel too little. We do not need machinery, we need humanity, he says. And then the real powerful thing is the 17th chapter of St. Luke, as he says, is this. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. I'm, I've been kind of convicted by this. Maybe we have the worship team come on down. I've been kind of convicted about this. We're always talking about like the kingdom of God. Like, you know, we even say, pray like your kingdom come, and like, oh, we're praying, we're going to bring the kingdom of God here. The reality is the kingdom of God, kingdom of God is already here inside of you, as a human being, not as a number, not as a tool, right? But as a being of God. And I'm telling you, we gotta like, we got to ruffle our feathers and get out of this kind of system, if you will, of feeling that we're just like this machine. Jesus saved you in part to make you a human being again. He saved you to make you a human being again. And what I mean by this is this. Follow me. Sin is a tool. Sin is a tool that you use to reach your own selfish objective. And then you become sin. If the man becomes the tool and the tool becomes the man, if you use sin as a tool to reach your selfish desire, you use that tool, you become the sin. This is why Jesus came to set you free from that. 
James chapter 1, verse 13 says it this way. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren. Don't be deceived. Your sin, your temptation, your desire is a tool. It's a tool for you to get what you think you maybe want, what you really don't want, but you think you want it. But the end game is sin is death. And if you engage in sin and continue to walk in sin without repentance, you become the tool. You become sin. And sin is death. And Jesus says, you are not death. You are a human being. I'm saving you from the tools that you've been using. I'm saving you from the tool you've been using to get your own objective met. See, human being, we have such a, a wonderful phrase that we overlook all the time. We are the only creation on planet Earth that has the beautiful, beautiful name of being a human being. You're not a human. You're not just a man or a woman. You are a human being. And what is a being? A being, being is the verb to be. To be is to exist. We exist. We have a mind, we have a soul, we have a spirit. Animals don't have that. They don't have a being. We have a being. Oh. Sorry, I'm getting fired up here. And what is a being? Do you know that the God that you serve, his name is not God? Like that's just a generic term. That even the world is corrupting, right? Lowercase g, big G. What is it? If you serve a God, you serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't even serve the God of Ishmael, which would really be Islam. You, you serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And his name is not God. On Mount Sinai, he goes to Moses. No one has ever referred to me as my name. But I want to give it to you, Moses, because I'm calling out a people of God from slavery into freedom, from sin into existence. And the only God that can serve an existing people is a God that is a being. A being. His name is Yahweh or Yahweh in Hebrew, which we would say Jehovah. You know, you don't get, get confused like Big J, Little J. J. There's a Jehovah. My name, my, my name, the God is Yahweh, Jehovah. We, we translate it as this, right? Jehovah, Jireh, or Yahweh. He is the God who was and is and is to be. Was, is, is to be is actually the Hebrew word. Yahweh is the verb to be. Your God's name is existence to be. It's amazing. Like his actual name is being. And what has he done? If you just lower it down a little bit, he's, he's breathed the, the breath of life in you to be a being, to be, to be a human, not just a commodity or tool. 
So, look guys, what I'm trying to get at here, we can't use each other as tools and we can't use our God as a tool. We are not tools. We are not machines with machine parts. You have the living God living inside of you. If tools become the man, then the tool shapes you. The tool, or sin, is the orchestration of your heart's desire. And today I'm telling you, our tools are so ridiculously seductive. And I don't mean just in a sexual way, I mean this. Our tools have the ability and the means to speed up our life so much so that we can get what we think we want and need. And if that's what we're doing when we're buying things on Amazon and that kind of expectation, I am telling you it does not take much for that to transfer into the way that you view other people and how you view your God. Don't put it past. If you're like, boom, 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 whatever I want, click, 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 whatever I want, boom, I don't like this, I like this song, I like this, blah, blah, blah. You're going to start viewing other people that way. Don't worry, I'm not an evolutionist. I am not an evolutionist. But evolutionists say this. Right, we're Homo sapien, but prior to Homo sapien, it was a, was a they say, uh, this thing called Homo habilis, man who uses tools. And from those tools, finally you get Homo erectus, man who stands upright, and then finally Homo sapien, a wise man. But that the ability to use tools, they say, is what kind of made people kind of stand off from the animal kingdom, they're saying. I, I'm not saying I believe that, but I'm just painting a picture. Because this is where the evolutionists say we are. But I'm telling you this, man. Genesis 2-7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his life the breath of life. And man became a living being. We're not a number. We're not a tool. We're not a commodity to be used to get what we want. You have the existence of the almighty God inside of your lungs. It's what's made you. And because of that, we need to make sure that we reclaim the humanity that I believe is being lost in the modern world. I think we have to repent to one another. I think we need to repent to our God. I think we need to repent to our spouses and to our friends and family and say, look, I've used you too much as a commodity exchange to get my goals and wants met. I need to put the relationship before the tool. If you're unsure of, of where your heart is, Think about the last time you prayed and what your prayers were. If your prayers were laundry lists of wants, I want this, I need this, Lord, just do this, please. Come on, do this for me. This, this. Then you're viewing him as a commodity. I'm going to do 
I'm going to bend over backwards for my daughters. Not because I'm just going to bend over backwards, but because they're my daughters. The relationship precedes the actions. So Lord, I just come before you and I, I, I just pray that this will just fall on hearts that are, that are willing to receive, Lord. I know it's a little maybe heady or a little philosophical, but Lord, I just pray that people will just plug into this understanding that we have to be careful that the tools that we use do not change our humanity. That we will not look at friendships as like the number of people that follow us on Facebook, but that we would restore the concept of friendships by face-to-face -face relationship and interaction. Lord, I, I pray that people would, be, be, would just be safeguarded and, and pulled out of their stupor of just viewing the world and people and you as a thing to be used. But relationships would be restored. That our humanity would be restored. That we become more kind and more loving and a little less clever, but a little bit more pure. Because the breath of God is in us. Amen. Why don't we stand and close out with a song here, with worship. But let it be one where we can come to the Father in relationship. And not as a means to just feel good when you leave. But to have a moment in time, a moment in space. Right now. Right now with He that matters. Not needing to get anything from Him but just to be able to lay your life down and to love Him in relationship. Yes, Lord. Go ahead. Just want to invite you to stay in the presence here if you feel led. If there are things that you need prayer for, I just invite you to come on down. We'll have a prayer team up here to pray if, if you guys need some things. We also have our time of refresh, refreshments and fellowship downstairs if you'd like to join us. If not, have a wonderful week. Hopefully we will see you Tuesday. If not Tuesday, we'll see you, we'll see you Sunday at next week's service. Have a blessed week.